Welcome to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core, and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing, and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, Layla. Hi, Julie. Today we have Layla Rahme. Rahme. No, say it, say it, please say it. <laughs> Layla Rahme. Rahme. She's originally from Syria. And I asked her to come on the show because she was, we met in a class online and I read something in her introduction. And She's had like a handful of major catalysts to force a person into finding a new identity, becoming a single parent, overcoming cancer, being a war survivor, and surviving depression. And um, so these are all like each on their own could be an entire interview and has been with other people except the war. And so I asked if she would talk about that. And I'm just gonna get a little bit emotional because the date is December 30th, 2003. And we're two years something in almost into Ukraine being, having people die every single day because of war. And how many days is it? in Israel, Palestine right now, it's like 70, 80 days, 80, 85, 85. And, um, of just, you know, complete war. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I'm in the United States where, oops. I am where, in in Canada, uh, in Halifax, on the Atlantic Ocean. Okay. So we're both almost 100% safe to make it through this interview without a bomb dropping on us. And yeah, yeah. And um, whoever you are in the audience, I hope that you're don't have to think about bombs dropping on you either or people invading in your house or the closest I've come to war is living in Colombia South America for a year mm -hmm. before Pablo Escobar right before Pablo Escobar got really big and completely I mean war has been going on in Colombia for over 100 years over land rights but um but he just he turned the country upside down and inside out during the late 80s and 90s. And um, I know a number of people who were killed because of what he created. And I say he, I mean, conditions of the country created so that somebody like him could even, it's all very complicated, but when you have yeah. poverty, then yeah. you have people who will do anything, you know, get paid 
yeah. $10 and given a bullet and kill whoever is being asked. Poverty is the main major uh, trigger and cause for a lot of disasters and and uh, horrible things in the world because if you're you're poor, it's um, affecting your education, your knowledge, your awareness, your standing, and your logic. So you just like you're thinking instead of thinking from your mind and your brain and your heart, you're thinking from your stomach that it is yeah. hungry. Um, so you lose all rationales, like you, you won't be able to really resonate things or like to have any reasoning about anything other than I just want to feed my kids, no matter what the means are. So yeah, if you look at all the disasters in the world as happening, um, catastrophes are mostly in places where there is a, a large number of poverty and, you know, and then people who are in power or they're greedy to get into power they just take advantage of that unfortunately and that's the world that we're living in now yes yep well so this is completely not a political or historical podcast because i'm totally unqualified for that um but what i have found interesting is how things pin impact people on an individual basis. And just one more tiny bit about Colombia. So I lived there in 1976-77. And then one of the times I went back, it was 1996. And I think Pablo was already killed by then or almost. Uh, it, it was still a really scary time to go. And I was there for two weeks in Medellin, Colombia, where, you know, Pablo was lived and was from. And every single person I talked to for that entire, every day of those two weeks told me of a murder of somebody in their family or like immediate family or some extended family member. Yeah. And um, it was, Anyway, I would like to ask people about it. And, and they were telling me these stories and I was crying. And, and then people were like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm just crying because it's like really sad. But I want to hear what happened because it's important. This is just like, it's important for me to hear what happened, not to just. And, and from the people it actually happened to. So this is your time to tell your story. And let's just jump into it and um, and again, you know, sort of give us the context of, of, you know, where you were and everything. And then I'll just be jumping in and sort of bringing it into um, identity. Unless you like do it all on your own. <laughs> with your story no, I'd like to have like, you know, a conversation. Uh, I'm definitely not going to bore people with just like a, 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 a story altogether. It's it's uh, about talking about things that you know your audience would be interested in. And I just want to step uh, one step back and say thank you very much, Julie, for uh, hosting this show and, and this podcast. I had... Uh, uh, the pleasure to meet you in in one of the courses that we attended and uh, we found things in in common um it's about identity and i think 
that it is a, a dilemma right now because so many people that I encounter at least, whether they're friends or um, family or people that I, coworkers or anybody that I see, there are a lot, a majority of them, they're trying to be somebody who they're not. Like they, it's like intentionally, they're trying to take on a persona to do something that make them be more likable, maybe more acceptable. So they're losing their themselves and their authenticity and who they truly are in the pursuit of uh, being popular or being kind of like accepted in, in their environment. And it, it makes me sad because when you go back to look at your like your life and the life of people who are close to you and you see how life throwing things at you that... Um, taking that part of you like it is deliberately things that happen in, in your life taking that that core of you of who you are because of the circumstances that you're going through and then you're trying to struggle to get to regain who you are or to stand again and then to get introduced to who you become and then to be in peace with yourself and then you see other people that they are neglecting who they are to try in the pursuit of being somebody else. And it it's really makes it a huge thing to talk about. And I'm very thankful and grateful for you to have that podcast to talk about identity and how important it is for people to find their identity and to be that it's true that it makes them who they really are so that they can be at peace and live in their life and their connection with others around them and with them in ourselves as well uh, to be you know to live through this life so thank you again you're welcome and and just to you know add this extra layer human beings we are like many other animals in nature we are belonging is essential and it is in childhood that we learn how to belong and we do develop different ways of being so that we belong in whatever environment we're in. And so it's, an, it's a natural thing that we do to figure out how to like be acceptable to other people. It's necessary as a child. And then unfortunately, um, a lot of times, because many families aren't perfect and many childhoods aren't perfectly happy, then whatever we develop as a child to make things work in family dynamics later on can become a liability as an adult when we have a choice of who we're with and how we want to be. And we're just on autopilot and we don't even realize that we're being someone different than who inside we really are. And one of the things I just absolutely love about these um, interviews and in writing my book, you know, I wrote a book. Yes, yeah. yeah Master of Change is that sometimes it takes a really big catalyst to completely knock us off guard and completely strip us of the the elements that you know we show up with every day the roles that we play and then in rebuilding ourselves is where we actually discover 
this person that has always been in there but hasn't been nurtured because we've had to be these other personalities. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I find so fascinating about this work that I do is that we don't invite any of these catalysts into our lives that turn it upside down and inside out. And at the same time, we, in almost every single story that I've talked to people with around, they have become a better version of themselves that would have never happened. And they're not saying they, they, some people say they're glad it happened, but that's different than wishing that it happened. I think there's a difference there. Yeah. And that, but the long story short is that over and over again, I hear these stories of transformation where a person is forced into a transformation and they come out the other side, very, very happy where they are, notwithstanding they still have the loss and the grief and the trauma around whatever happened. So it's it's complicated, but it's it's for me it's thrilling, and that's why I do it because, and that's one of the reasons why in Colombia, I kept asking people to tell me their stories because I wanted to see how people survive. You know what what coping mechanisms do people have to continue living with hope when these atrocities happen? Well, you don't have a choice. I mean. Uh, from my experience and where I came from and seeing people and I still have like extended family back home and and how they are surviving and I look and I was like how are you living with these conditions like no food no power no electricity no heating um the inflation is is over like a 300 percent so it's just like how do you survive and it's like I don't know we just keep going and it's I think it's a human nature that when you are faced with adversity, there is a part of you that goes into autopilot. Like you don't think, you don't feel, you just go. You survival just, mode. Survival mode. And then you you just and you don't you don't even think about how things are happening. It just happens like you know, they, there are some examples, like not necessarily related to this directly. But when you you mentioned when a child comes in and started to to walk, the first few steps you tremble, you fall, you 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 don't get to balance, and then you walk. And then now, if you think about how you're walking right now, you might just tremble and fall. But right. if you don't, you you just like you just walk. You don't think about how you're moving your legs or how you go upstairs or down the stairs or how you drive a car, it just happens. But if you think about it, and then that's when you might just stumble and fall. So it's uh, it's the same thing, I guess. It just, you are in a condition, there's no other way. Like you cannot, you have to wake up every morning and it would be the day that you're gonna go by and then, then you go to bed and then you wake up again. Yes, you would wake up and you wish that you don't do not. Most times you would just wish that, oh, I wish that I'm not here. Like you look around and you're in the room and say, am I still in the same place? Am I hearing still the bomb? Am I hearing 
um, the, you know, like the, the screaming of the, the neighbors or the child that is hungry or whatever it is, am I still there? Like, how am I still here? And then there are times that you just really wish that you are no longer existing. Like you don't, you don't feel that you want to exist anymore. And then just to, to be back to, you mentioned the different things that I have gone through. I think with the with the flow of the incidents that happened to me um, over a period of time. Hold, it, hold on, before you just go into your flow, I want to ask what it feels like to feel like you don't want to exist anymore. And, and so this this isn't about depression, right? We're talking about you're in a war zone. Yeah, it's not only depression, because depression is is a very natural, uh, you know, consequence to what happens to when you are feeling that you're drained every time you're trying to get get up again. And you feel that like when you're in the war zone, it is very, very tough because you don't know anything going to happen. And then I remembered, I've always said, uh, it could not get worse and then it gets worse and then you then the next time it gets worse and says oh it cannot get worse than that this is this is hell and then it gets even worse and it's like how this creative and I always remember thinking if I am watching a horror movie I could not take any more watching that horror movie and then you see another scene and another thing and I was thinking the in the most creative mind of somebody who is writing a script of a horror movie, they would not come like really that close to what was seen and what's happening. And it wasn't just when I, I was there, when I was back home, it wasn't even to the 10% of the horrors that happened after I managed to, to flee the country. Because the way I, I left the country also was a really very um, uh, tough tough way to to get to Canada but we're not talking about my escape and this is not the the podcast for that we were just talking about the emotional and the uh psychological effect on on who I I was so just to back up a little bit to explain why this non-existence thing is a wish now not for only me I am just an example of so many other people but to back up a bit, I was a single mom. My daughter at the time was still 14. You have a 14-year-old uh, girl. You are threatened because you're not agreeing to the things that are happening. You're, I am vocal. I was like really an activist, which is to give you the context of where, where I come from. And then you have this child that you worry about and you are threatened that they might hurt that child. And you just feel hopeless that you cannot be silent and then not say something about the horrors you're seeing about so many other people. It might not have affected me directly, but it's affecting people around me, people that I knew, people that I'm friends with, family, extended families, neighbors, even other cities in the, in the country. And then I'm seeing families really either bombed or shoot being shot or whatever is happening or being starving or whatever it is at the time and you look at your child and said how am I going to be selfish that I want to stand for what I believe and then leaving my daughter 
uh, uh, being under attack or being threatened that she, they might hurt her. And at the same time, I could be selfish thinking about only my daughter and not thinking about the rest of the people that my voice might help them. So you're feeling that you're selfish either way because there's no way to choose, you know? There's no win. There's no, no win. There's no Between way. Between a rock and a hard place. No way, no way. And, and you just like feel you're hopeless and helpless and stuck and then you 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 just like want to make make things right and then you can't and then you think if i did not exist i wouldn't have suffered all that you know and then you think i cannot wish for that well who am i going to leave this daughter to who was going to take care of her what would she say you know it's always that was the motive for me to continue is having that child because one, I wanted to be there for her, to support her and to raise her and then to, to take care of her. And then two, I want to be a role model for her that she would be strong and she can survive and then she can learn how to maneuver in life, not only for that war, but in everything in life. And I don't want to say, I don't want her to say, mom, give up. You know, and I cannot wish for that because your wishes might come true. I cannot wish to be dead. I cannot wish not to exist. But part of me thinks that this is the only way to to feel pain free, you know, but you can't. So and you don't know who you are anymore. You're no longer the, the mother that used to be caring and, and, and nurturing because she was mad at me. Because she said, can't you just shut up? Like she was mad at me because like there was different different people stand with different stance. People were like with the government, people against the government and her friends. And, and she was like torn and she was a teenager and she had the peer pressure and she she's mad at me for so many things. So I do not, I could not feel who I am anymore I'm not the mother that I used to that I thought I would be I'm not the citizen that I would have pride to be and I'm not the the friend that I thought I would be I'm not the the daughter that I was I'm not any I'm not even the employed person because I was employed at the time I'm not none of those none of those are me yet I still exist so who is this person wow you know? It's it's so tough. It so is who so who was tough. who were who were you? I still don't know who I was. I was. Well, a, let, let's let's explore. Well, it, 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 there was a. Let me say that there was a kind of a roller coaster of who I was, and it might have gone through. I am different person in different time of the day you know right and and in just in regular life we are different people at different times of the day we better be a different person while we're getting ready to do surgery on somebody than we are with our kid at home yes yes yeah. that is true that is true but if if you mean who i was before this happened or you know through this both okay so before the war hits um, my country, um, I was a professional executive manager. I was uh, I had a good job, and I had a my side business on this. Uh, I had a, my own business on the side. I was doing consultation and and coaching and training. 
Um, and I was a corporate manager. I was doing a lot of like social responsibility, outreach, community outreach. I had a big community of people and followers. I had friends, um, a, a lot of friends. I have a big community. Uh, I have a big net network and I had a, a, a large family, extended family. Um, I had a really good life. Um, that life that I built again after I survived cancer. And and we might tackle on that a little bit just to say that um, finding my identity after cancer was totally different than finding my identity after war. Because after cancer, I was grateful. There was a lot of things that I was so grateful for that it makes me look back at my life before I was having cancer and then having a near-death experience that I thought, well, life is beautiful and I want to live it differently. And I want to be there for my daughter and I want to raise her to, uh, to cherish life in every moment. And I don't want to waste a moment in some, something that is not aligned with me. I changed my career and so on. I don't know if the episode will have time to talk about that, but it was a total different experience of finding my identity after cancer to when I faced the identity after the war. Because um, when well, I- the, the identity in, in the when you're in the war too. Yes. So before the war, I had just come out of- So, so it was a five years time six years time between my survival from cancer when the war started so so in though in that five to six years I have built a total new career a total like my community was the same but I had been introduced to different people I started doing something different I started more volunteering um I did so many things that that enriched my personality enriched my my being like who I was I was like more mature I wanted to become the the best version of myself because I felt that life is so short really literally very short I could have lost my life and there's a lot of things that I wanted to do and I was trying to do it all and be true to myself so so you were you were functioning on mortality motivation high Yes. High, high gear mortality motivation. Yeah. Yes. And then and and everything when I go and say resonate if that would resonate with me or not. I was like who, who I would be before and then why would I would say yes to or not to or what in what enjoys me or what sat makes me sad was totally different after because my my view to to life and what life offers was totally different. I was softer, but I was stronger. It was it was a it's a weird, very weird combination of being very soft and easygoing and accepting and and loving and caring, but at the same time I was tough and strong and nobody can come nearby the thing that means to me because I will fight so hard because I have beaten cancer and I am here and I'm not gonna be lenient with anything that does not help or support my loved ones and 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 myself so I had that life and I was happy and then when the war started I did not expect it to turn into what it turned to right no none of but we kind of yeah. wanted it just to hurry up and just like yeah. not be no 
And then the other thing is that, uh, and I don't want to go into the politics about it, but um, I was hoping, and 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 all my focus was, I love my country, and I still love my country, and I'm very proud to be Syrian. And it, for me, it, it, before it turned into a war and the killing, it just won the uprise of people asking for their rights. That's when I thought, this is where I have to come. That is what I want to support people and in their rights in their human rights, the simplest human rights of finding a job and then having this, they, their voice heard, uh, the freedom of speech, uh, the, the uh, equality in finding uh, like uh, opportunities and so on. And that was something that I identified as who I am after my cancer because I promised myself I'd be true to myself and I would not do anything that does not align with me. And then that's why I stood up and I wanted to say something that helping people, because I am a responsible citizen, that I wanted to be, uh, you know, like a catalyst to make things better. But it wasn't taken like that. It was taken that, oh, you are now now objecting to how things are being take, uh, dealt with or how it's managed or how it's like governed. And then you are totally, you are in the opposition. So I was put in an opposition and then uh, uh, they have decided for me who I was without me deciding on that. And then when this, when the thing there's no gray area. No, no. If you're not with it's... us 100%, then you are an opposition and now you are rebelling and you are on the your blacklist. You're you're an enemy, yeah. Yeah, you're an enemy. Exactly. So so that was part of like putting you in that category. And then you want to have your tribe. So you're trying to find people who have the same voice as you. And then all these people have been pushed into a corner. So you feel like you are a minority, but then it's not. But people were afraid to say what they're thinking. And there is a trust issue. And then you have to learn how to become trustworthy and in, in, in that's part of your identity. I have always been a trustworthy person, but but when it comes to being really under the intelligence looking after you, and if you're saying something and then you don't know who you trust to talk to and you and people, can they trust you or not? Because there's so many people that would say something, but they actually to tell on you. So it was a lot of struggling to find where you stand in. And then I would have to make the decision, as I said, would I be true to myself and say what I think out loud and wouldn't care about the, the consequences? Or should I be very cautious and be very political about what I say and who to say it and then feel like I'm lying to myself? And all of that just like did not did not work for me. And I wanted to make sure that my daughter was safe so that I can say whatever I want to say. So I sent my daughter actually with my mom to Canada before me because I wanted to stay there. And then I can have like that kind of the freedom to that there's no no fear that I'm not, you know, capable of expressing myself while I have a, somebody to threaten me. But I was also personally threatened and I had to escape. And, and then the question was, why don't you just go for a little while? Just go away for a little while and hide. The question to yourself to myself and I was asked actually by my friends and my manager 
to just go and 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 get away for a while just then things will solve it's not gonna take too long it seems like the the you know the regime would fall and it would be like you'll come back again just go for for a few weeks or a, or a month or two and that's what I did and then I and I escaped and it was a long story about my escape and my my uh, fleeing of, of the country and I ended up coming to to Canada to follow my daughter and I thought I came with a backpack. I only thought that I would be coming to Canada for a couple of weeks or a, or a month and I'll be back. So I didn't I didn't do anything. I just had a backpack, went through the 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 uh, land border uh to uh, uh to Lebanon and from there I got a ticket and I I took a flight and I came to Canada. I was lucky enough and I'm so grateful that I had um a visa multiple entry to Canada because I had two brothers that were here originally before me so I came I used to come and visit so that was my escape but then that oh was... so you already had the visa because you had already been traveling so you didn't yes. have to go to yes. some place in, was... in Syria to get a visa oh there was no way there all the embassies were already closed like I had that and that was that's how I survived. Otherwise, I would have been stuck, or maybe I would have to go through the to the ocean or in the sea or walking through the borders, or it would have been a like a horrible trip, even. And it wasn't easy, but more horrible than it already was. Horrible than it is. So that was another thing because also your identity after you left your country is also ever changing because you're no longer the citizen that you are fighting for the right of speech and your people. And I felt a betrayal, a betrayal. Like I felt that, not a, not felt the, I felt that I was betraying my people because I chose to be safe yeah. and gave up on them. And that was the guilt was unbearable. That how would I leave and, and then find my own security and my, and I was trying to find reasoning for that. And I would say, but if I don't, I would not help anybody. And right. then I might be killed or I might be tortured. I wouldn't give them that, that, uh, uh, you know. Um, well, wait, you might, I thought they had threatened you and that was like happening to people. Oh, my friends, my very close friends. I had a friend who was tortured until death in, in, in the prisons. Mm -hmm. And I had two other friends that were tortured, but they were able to relieve and then left the country. So I have been through a very close like uh, network of friends that have gone through that and they lost their lives or they had to, to go through more horrible things that I have witnessed. So it was, you know, the survival mode. You just want to, you wish that you don't exist, but at the same time, you want to keep existing. It's just like that conflicting feeling inside of you. And then you, on the journey to come to Canada, it just like... Wait, wait, wait. So you wish you don't exist because the pain is too large to hold? Yes. yes. So And, and you're, you're so powerless to actually do very much other than just save yourself and then yeah and then you feel guilty for saving yourself because well who's going to save everybody else because you were actually in a educated position with a certain level of power where you could 
you know, you you spent your uh, your your professional career as a social change agent. It sounds like, yeah. And so so, yeah. Again, you just yeah, caught between that, a rock and is, hard places that you you were this person and you couldn't be that person, and the the loss and the pain of not being able to be influential and make an impact how you wanted to exactly like you feel you have two people inside of you someone is pulling you this direction and the other one is pulling you that direction and each one of them is trying to convince you that they are right whomever that person was like one person say well you should have stayed you know you should have stayed and you could have done so and so and how do you how can you face yourself in the mirror and that's another thing. When I came to Canada the first year, I didn't even look at myself in the mirror because I couldn't face myself. I could not recognize who that person is. I was I was hiding. I was in denial. I did not want to see that person. I did not like that person. I but you're not, in denial of what? Denial of who I become because I, I became... There you was became a survivor, Right. Well, I became a refugee and that was like, you're not even a person like in, in my mind is like, what is a refugee? It's because I came to Canada and as a visitor and I applied for asylum when I knew that I would not be able to go back to Syria. And this has been almost 12 years now, 11 and a half years. And I could not come back, go back. And it was like, you are asking for refuge from a country, a different country to help you exist and then you don't really want to exist and the way you are existing now is like who is this person what type of existence are you now you know so you're you're you betrayed your your country in my mind in my in my thoughts you betrayed the people that you left behind you you escaped to live your life and be safe I have to be grateful, which I was grateful, but it was kind of like, oh, you should be grateful that you're safe and your family is safe. Yes, I am. You know, you should be grateful for the country who opened the, the arms to you and then and, and welcomed you. Yes, I am. But that does not weigh out the feel of guilt, you know, and then you come to the country, but you're not a resident of this country. You're still just a refugee and actually a refugee claimant for a couple of years before I was in taking the title of becoming a refugee. So I'm not even a refugee. I was a refugee claimant for two and a half years, waiting for them to decide if they're going to accept me as a refugee. So it was like, you are under this uncertainty. Would I be thrown out of the country back again? What if they send me back? But would I want to go back? Maybe I want to go back, but maybe I don't want to go back. So who am I now? So I, I couldn't realize who I was. Like it was, I mean, there's no words that I describe how I felt and who I was at the time. And part of me is still not totally fulfilled to become the wholeness that I could be because yes, I learned a lot. Yes, I, my, my personality had grown. Yes, I have evolved as a human, as, as an empath, as somebody who is caring for others, as somebody who understand the pain of others. But at the same time, it made part of me really, not, I'm not going to say rude, but 
or ruthless, but sometimes when I feel something that is really very minor, like really, you are you like whining about something or whining because the traffic, traffic, (laughs) or well, my hair did not go well this morning. I couldn't, you know, like, and then you just like look and said, okay, yeah, but and then then I'd have to think about that at some point in life those were my biggest trouble and I found them really huge I did not know that they're not huge until I saw something bigger but and also coming further in that where I started to try to build a life and and I tell you the first two years I did not even want to make friends because I don't know who I am to make friends well also you didn't you didn't you couldn't establish roots. You didn't know oh. if you were going to be able to stay. Exactly. And why would I want to make friends that I mm-hmm. might not keep them because I, I want to go back. I, it took me like four years and I was still saying, I want to go back. I want to go back. I want to go back. I did not want to make connections. So I was only isolated myself with my daughter who was hating me because she did not want to be here because she was bullied at school the first year that she was in high school because nobody knew what it was and 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 she was like feeling she wanted to go back to her life and I was dealing with a teenager that is losing her identity as well and I'm trying to be a model for her to show her that no we can and we will build and we will do and we will whatever and I am not that person I am coming from a very empty place I cannot fill her cup where my cup is empty but I'm pretending. So you you are a combination of all kind of things that you're not. All of them are things that you're not. So it, it, it was a time like I had to really um, sometimes not go back there. It's like it is, it's in the past. But again, I have to talk about it because I want to help other people to overcome that and say there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But you have to find it. You have to look for it. And my my motive was just bringing things for my daughter, like just to uh, make in life for her. And then I did not want her to be crushed. I wanted to push her. She was my my what do you call it? Say that my um, go to or and then she was my push so I'm going towards her and she's the one who's pushing me but I wanted her to also grow beyond that experience because I'm still the mother on all those identities that I have taken but for the last 27 years and it would be 28 years because since I became pregnant that's when the first identity that I take is that being a mother and all over those roller coaster, whether I, when I got a divorce and I became a single mom or when I survived cancer and then I got through the war and I survived that, I was this mother. And all the things that I am doing, no matter what color or shape I was taking, that the motive that kept me going, my ma- main trigger was being a mother. I don't know who I would be if I did not have her. Maybe I would have stayed back home and I didn't care. Maybe I wouldn't have existed. I don't know. But I know now that I am standing here because I was that mother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's um having a having a child depend on you and wanting to be the best role model possible for that child because that means they will grow up with those strengths and that perspective and that's you know what we think is how we can teach them that is a huge motivator yeah yeah it is and 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 even the other thing is that if i'm saying something to her i'm saying it loud to her i have to mean it and right. even if i did not mean it at the time i pretended that i meant it and <laughs> and then and then i would believe it myself like i'm telling her but i am also have to tell it to myself like for example i mean like um when she was like the first few months when I came and she wanted she discovered that we're not going back and she was like the whole time really angry at me and saying that she hates it here and she hates me and and she wished that and I, and I said so what what would you want me to do do you want would you want it to be there you would be dead you would be like you might have a bomb head on uh, our heads you would be dead and and she would say I would rather be dead by a bomb than being here and that's how bad it she felt how how horrible she felt with her she felt that she doesn't have a life she felt that also she has lost her identity and who she was and she was a teenager starting to become the person that she will become as a young adult and so i remember i still remember that very well and then i said to her okay so imagine you were dead by a bomb where would you be now like I mean, regardless what what beliefs you have or what religion, I was just trying to make it a metaphor for her. I said, well, you die, you would go either to hell or to heaven or to hell. And nobody goes to heaven right away. Everybody has something bad that they or a sin or something. You have to go to hell somehow to pay your dues and then you go to hell, to heaven. So if you're dead, you're not going to have your toys. You're not going to have your CDs and your like your friends and your books and your clothes and anything. You're not going to take any of that with you. You're just going to be you're going to be dead. You're not taking that with you like that you're missing. You're not taking your friends. You're not going to have your life. You're going to be dead. And moreover, that you're going to be in hell. So we are in hell right now. This is hell. We died and this is hell. And now what we could do is to try to fix things and do things right so that we can pay our dues and then we will step into heaven at some point. And she would always say like, mom, you just want to say things, you know, like, you know, like a teenager, like you're just like pretending you say things and you don't mean that or whatever. And it was, it took actually four or five years when she graduated university. It was almost six years after that. When she graduated university, on the day of her graduation, she looked at me and she said, mom, I am now in heaven and thank you. And she already have gone through that. And that was, that was, that day, it was like, I mean, I would never forget that day when she told me that. That's when I felt that I regained myself, that I redeemed myself, that the guilt that I had has already been erased. I still have some feeling of guilt sometime when I see some of my extended family suffering or going through a hard time. But I couldn't have done anything 
you know and then i know that at least i have made the life for one person which is my daughter that she had passed to the safe shore and now that she feels that she's in heaven and she had her life and she's grateful and she's happy and I, I made my mission and that's, I regained my identity as a good mom. And I regained myself as a, as a good person, as person of integrity and of values that I have, you know, lived up to them, you know? And then now that I have felt, now I, I can find who I am. The funny part is that when she was in her graduation, I would have loved to be even more joyful that I should have, but I was on antidepressant at the time. And that antidepressant made me feel numb. And that was the day that I decided to get off antidepressant because all those throughout the first five years, after three years of being here, I was diagnosed with severe depression. I was suicidal. Mm -hmm. I, I, after my daughter went to school, she left because we were living in a different um, city in a different province when we, when we first arrived to Canada. She came to Halifax, where I am now. She came to Halifax to go to school, uh, to university. She got a scholarship. She had a high honor when she graduated from high school. And, and I was very proud of her. And when she came to, to university after the first year and she started like to, to build a, a life of her own, I felt that I can collapse right now. And that's when my depression hit me, hit me hard. And I thought I could die. Like I could now, I have accomplished my mission. I put her on the first like step on the road. She's she's independent right now. And I can leave this, this earth. I, I don't want to be here anymore because I still have not found my identity. I could not find who I was. I was still a refugee. I couldn't find a job. All of my credentials that I had, or all the degrees that I had did not matter at all. And that was another part of my struggle with, with who I am because I could no longer do the things that I used to do. I was just working in a mall, selling stuff. And like, you know, it was really tough on me and I did not like that. So I would be driving and I would be like, what if it, I would just hit that truck coming up at me? And then I would say, what if I just go off the ditch? And then again, the the face of my daughter comes at me and then makes me like a slap in the face. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. And that would keep me going. And then I went and seeked help and, and sought help. And then I asked for, uh, I well, the, with the, you know, a therapy and um, antidepressant and so on. On the day of my daughter's graduation, when I was not jumping out of joy, I thought I would be screaming and jumping out of joy because that's the, the kind of personality I am. I was happy, but I wasn't as happy as I thought I would be. Like I was so happy, but I couldn't express it. That's what I mean. And I decided that this antidepressant is not making me sad, but it's not making me happy. And I don't want to live on in a gray area. I want to be all or nothing. So I decided I'm going to get off the depressant. And that's when I decided I want to be me again. I, I am now having, I'm allowing myself to become who I was without any antidepressant, without any, any saying from anybody, without somebody telling me what I should or should not be. And that I have, I, ha I felt the accomplishment and the fulfillment that 
I have done a mission right, that my daughter is an independent girl, that she's happy now, I can now allow myself to live and to become who I am. It's still, it's a long way, you know? I mean, I don't, I, I have changed my, my, you know, I don't know how, what the word to use, but I don't want to just keep saying identity. I, I have like been changed in my life so many times that when I came now to who I am, I just remember when I was a child and I feel that I just want to regain that very simple, on, honest, innocent child. And, but with so much experience in life that I can continue my, my living being that pure person that I was when I was a child. It is hard with what we what life throws at us, but I'm trying to get to build who I am. And that's something that I try to help people now is just to find who they truly were. And then the only place when we were really, and you said that when we were children, we've been told how to be and what to be because our environment will, you know, will influence us. But at the same time, we have that core that only in the childhood time that we are very, very pure. And then we want to add those experiences through life. And then what values we have acquired through life from wherever we were young. And then we are like learning new things and then what we became and then present that in a package of who we are, you know, mm -hmm. so. I don't know if I will be evolving, of course, and I might be next year, somebody maybe a little bit different. I don't know if life is going to throw something else at me, but I know that whatever life throws at me, I am more capable now to face that, you know, than, than when I was like the first time I was divorced and I became a single mom, you know? Right. It's, I, I they call it, now post-traumatic growth that we you know can grow from these difficult experiences that we didn't yeah. you know would have preferred never to have had yeah but it, it sounds like we're both sort of consciously in the same place in that we're both trying to sort of reenact this little girl this the best of of who that little girl was this and and but in then in an adult form with all of our knowledge and experience and ability to make choices yeah and and it is it's a process of of remembering and then trying to figure out how to access how to access her because like the, the our our inner child learns how to hide out really well yes. out of necessity yeah. and yet they're always there informing us and that's like in my book I teach like listen to your intuition mm -hmm. because it's there for a reason it's always there we're taught to not listen to it and listen to the logic of outsiders telling us what to do how to be yeah. how to think so that we like fit in and do whatever other people want us to do. Yeah. And, and, and all oftentimes our inner 
our intuition, our inner voice isn't logical because it if we follow it then there's all these like barriers it, it it sort of makes it life hard at least for a while but it knows what it's talking about because like you were saying you you had your your inner truth that you didn't want to betray but yet it put you your life in danger yeah and so so yeah we is it's this balance of logic is very good and our inner our inner being our inner spirit our soul whatever it is inside of there has its own ideas about what to do with our life and how to go about and then we try to figure out how to go about doing it with using our logic and it doesn't always match up and yet when we can sort of I forget how I say it in my book, but somehow put logic and your heart and intuition sort of on equal equal power levels so that one doesn't overpower the other. That that is very, very true. Uh no, I I like how you you uh um word it because um I think the logic is is our brain trying to keep us safe in right. a way, you know. Yeah. Uh, our inner being sometimes would not be measuring the um, outcomes or the sequences. It just feels what is right for you at this moment and how you feel. It's, but it's I, values based. Yeah, it is. It is values in, in, in spite of logic. Outside, uh, yeah, or the outcomes or what could happen. But you need to follow that as well because it is like your inner self guiding you to work, to be aligned with who you are but and and again without considering the dangers or the risk there's no risk there like there's no risk in intake you just like gonna throw yourself in the ocean you know like it's just it's nice to be in the ocean it's very beautiful just jump in there but your 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 logic would tell you, no, it's dangerous. You might drown. You might know, just like try to test the water first. You know, there are things that very essential that we can do the balance. But I I learned and when I was younger, I was trying, I was taught, as you said, that you have to be very logical with your decisions. And then it, it always felt that the logic and the heart or the inner self is totally on a different part. But you can learn to make it, work together right i think it needs experience and a lot of training to feel that you can be logical about things that really align with you you not just like to think about like just calculating things with numbers it's not not only that but just be aware of where you're heading and then you know and then but put your heart out there with you yeah well, this has been absolutely fascinating. You're so articulate and obviously you've been through so much. And I really thank you for sharing this, this experience. And like I say, for me, at least it's even more, it's just very timely with what's going on in the world right now and you know as you were talking I was just thinking of all the refugees being produced 
in this very moment. And not just in the two places we mentioned in the beginning. There's Everywhere. so many other wars going on that don't even hit the headlines because whatever. Um, so real quick, this is what I like to do at the, the end sometimes. Give me, in a nutshell, your identity before you became a single parent, even before you had cancer. Let's go back to your identity then, your identity at the depth of your um, despair when you had to leave your country unwillingly to save your own life. And now, who are those three different people? Oh my God. What in a, a nutshell. I know, I know, let's just end in a nutshell. <laughs> that, that makes it even harder. Um, well, who I was, um, my, my identity as a person when I got married the first, like first, and then before I got my child and become a mother or who I was, I was, um, the eldest girl to a, a loving family and my, my mom and dad, uh, they were married after a love story. I was their firstborn. Um, I, I wouldn't say I was spoiled, but I was also spoiled. I was loved and cared for. Um, um, I was like given whatever I needed was not exaggeration. Um, I lived in a middle class uh, family, two educated parents. Um, I grew up to be educated, uh, behaved, uh, nice, uh, uh, you know, and I was always presenting myself as a, the the child that had, you know, almost every need. Like I'm not living in luxury, but I had all my needs been fulfilled. I graduated from university. I did my master's degree and I was facing life that everything is possible. Life is wide and big and beautiful. And here world I am coming and then I got married and I became a mother and it felt like everything is, is beautiful. And I was that person that is just so loving life, always laughing, always smiling, always like accepting things. And I didn't have any major um, uh, hardship. There was nothing at that time. I was very um, like, a, like a, a bubble of joy. So mm -hmm. that's what my life was. Then when I got married, it did not work well. I had my child. I became a single uh, parent, going through cancer, being feeling the victim, uh, and then you know surviving that and feeling like heroic that I survived cancer and so on. And then the war comes, and then it was just like all my values and all my beliefs and everything was on on a test. I was I was tested, and I felt that I am doing an exam that is never ending and I was always failing and I felt that that person who was a bubble of of, uh, of joy became uh, like a complication of so many um, different feelings that did not align together and I was pulled in different directions and I didn't know who I was and I was several things and different person and I was trying to just keep standing so I, I cannot put it in a world who I was at that time because I was everything and nothing. I was totally, and then when I came to Canada and I became the world refugee, 
made me feel that I am nothing. I was a shell, just you can see it as a shell, but inside it's empty. It's just like you can hear the echo if you talk because there, there's no nothing in there. It's like emptiness. So I wasn't any anything. So building that from nothing and trying to grab to different things and then adapt from here and there. It was just like, you know, that story about that animal that wanted to be the most beautiful animal that they want a feather from, from one and they wanted the, the wings and they wanted the tail and they wanted the, to be fast. And then it was become, it would become a beast, like, because it's none of the things. I don't know if you know that story. I cannot remember the name of it, but it was, some some kind of animal that wanted to have everything from every animal. They are on a beast, fast mm -hmm. like the rabbit. They wanted to be beautiful like the uh, I don't know. I had a voice like a bird or something like that, and it became like a beast. And that's how I felt because I wasn't anyone. I wasn't anything. There's no coherence of all the little things that I try to fill in into that empty shell to make a person out of that. But then. You know, you get hit here and there, and then for some reason, you just get to be aligned into a, a pathway. So getting out of that tunnel that was just shaping me left and right, I I found my, um, I don't know what the word is, solicits or something like my savior of becoming that person that I am now is that I had a core in the beginning where I started core of my culture, my values, my inheritance, my ancestors and who I was and what adapting to the experiences that I have gone through, the, the, the things that I have gone through in life with the hardship and also the beautiful things that I gained after I became here. I made a career and then I, I started like building a, a network and friendships and learning about different things and trying to merge both cultures together and then and shaping my values i'm not giving up on the old values but it's just some values are not aligning who with who i am and then some values that i have acquired now because of what i've been through so now i feel that i'm more of closer to be a whole a holistic person a whole person if that's a word it's just that I am finding that what I said about between my heart and my logic are are coming together, like because the logic that I learn now is the logic coming from my heart and from my inner self. Whatever does not align with my inner self, it's not making any logic for me. Um, the survival mode is already over. I am past that survival mode. I am very much at peace that if I die after an hour from now, I am happy. I've done what I needed to do. There's nothing undone. There's nothing unaccomplished. Maybe the one thing that I am hoping to accomplish is that I want to launch my digital course and then help more people all over the world to overcome their hardship. But other than that, I feel that I have accomplished the mission that I am and I am at peace with myself right now. So, and then that's beautiful. Like every day is a, is a gift. Now, every day for me, when I wake up is a gift and I am open to accept anything that comes my way, whatever it is, beautiful or bad, bring it in. I can deal with it. I bet. 
Oh my goodness. Well, this has been, again, uh, fascinating and informative. And um, did you get any insights or what did you love about this interview? I loved everything about the interview because you know what? You are a very um, experienced and also articulate host. I did not know what I'm going to be talking about today when I came. I had no idea what would come out of my mouth or what flow of thoughts I will be going through. Um, but you really were very um, talented in a way you you led this conversation and you brought things in me. I did not know that they are there to say, you know, like I know they are there, but I did not think that I will be sharing those things. And, and I was very happy to go through that memory lane, though sometimes it is tough to talk about them. But when you talk about them with the purpose of, you know, building awareness or sharing uh, experiences that might help others or inspire others, hopefully, that life has a lot to offer. We just have to look at it in a different light. You just have to figure out what light is suiting us to look at life and then, you know, bring the best of it. It's uh, every part of this interview was really, or that podcast or that conversation, whatever you want to call it, um, was a was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Julie. Oh, wow. Well, that is, thank you. And it's interesting because, you know, I'm I'm not anybody in the podcast, anything. I'm just like, I have my little podcast. Some people know about it. And so I don't, I and I haven't tried to get like real big name anybody on my podcast. I just get like people whose stories I want to share because they fit with my topic and so, I mean, so basically I don't like try to get famous people on here the way some podcasters and, but what I do find is, and some people are more experienced like doing podcast interviews than others. And what I do find though, is some of the people who actually are like already out there speaking a lot and sharing their story, those people for me are sometimes harder to interview than a person who like you who shows up and they they know they're gonna like I've told them that their story like fits with my thing but you haven't like had it you, it's not all planned out yeah and and for me it's it's just um and I'm starting to see this like t yesterday was two years now of having my podcast launched and uh this week yeah. I, yeah, I put out um episode 105 and so in this in this I have found that sometimes not every time but sometimes the people who are less do you know tell their story less it's actually easier to interview them anyway no no expectation, no set 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 lines uh, to how and why you're gonna do it. It just it's a flow of of uh, conversation. Yeah, and really the only the only set question I have is at the end this little nutshell thing. I don't always ask that, but I try to because it's very powerful. And and then this last question right now. 
Who are you? Give us your bio. What do you do? How can people find you online? Oh, thank you. Uh, so my name is Leila Rame, and I am a personal branding coach, or that's what the title that I came up with that is most describe what I do. Um, I help people overcome their uh, hardship uh, in defining who they are, rewrite their narrative and rebrand themselves from a perspective of branding who you are, brand, the personal branding, not in the classical way, but more into really finding who you truly are and present yourself authentically to the world um, and, and be, just be. So I help people who are feeling the loss of their identity uh, from whatever reason they have come through and then to rewrite their life narrative for the future and to own it and to really rebrand. So I have my program is Rebrand Your Brilliance. You can find me on Facebook, Leila Rame. I don't think there's a lot of Leila Rames out there. And I have a group also on Facebook called Rebrand um, Your Brilliance. And I love to have you because I share a lot of things there. So anybody of your audience is welcome to join. Uh, on Instagram, I am coach underscore Layla, L-A-Y-L-A underscore Rame, R-A-H-M-E-H. -E so it's coach underscore Layla underscore Rame, if you want to find me on Instagram. And uh, that's how you can find me. Great. What's a, one or two takeaways you'd like to leave the audience with? Um, I would encourage anybody who come through a similar, uh, you know, uh, journey of finding identity to, to come in, uh, on the podcast with Julie, uh, because it is a really good experience and, and to go through really a, a recap of why you existed, uh, why you are here. It's, it's really a good recap. I am really thankful that you got me through believe in why I'm here and why I'm doing what I'm doing. It just reminded me again, why I need to do what I do and helping people. So those are the two things that I really, really am very thankful and grateful for you. Oh, well, I'm so glad I could provide that for you. Thank you. And, and it is, it's really important to be witnessed and validated in, in our, you know, in our daily life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay, well, thank you, Layla. Thank you so much, Julie, and Happy New Year. I don't know when you're going to be uh, putting that online, but it is, as you said, December 30th, and then the new year is tomorrow, is it? Tomorrow? Day after tomorrow. Yeah, the day after tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow is the New Year's Eve. So Happy New Year, everyone, and uh, to you also, Julie. Hope that 2024 will be a very uh, prosper, prosper year and abundance of all the things that you want in life. Thank you. And this has been Julie Brown on Bold Becoming. Hey there. The value that you got from this today, take it into your heart. Add value to it in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life, your daily habits the takeaways that you got from this. Words and thoughts only take us so far. It's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life. Ideas are just ideas. Taking action on ideas is where growth happens and freedom 
emerges from growth. Freedom from our past invisible binding. We're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints. With awareness, intention, and through taking action on new choices, we evolve. In this process, we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us. We all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be. If today's episode added value to your life, please share it with others. And make sure to subscribe to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. And if you might, take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast. If you'd like to contact me for one-on-one coaching or to get on the wait list for my Tough Stories workshop, send me an email and we'll be in touch. Be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers. The link's in the show notes.